What's going on, everybody? Mark Helmut with the Nightmares Podcast, where we talk about all things horror, movies, music, filmmaking, music making, whatever we want. And now we are exclusively going to guests. Um, I, of course, have my partner in crime here, Mr. Zachary Smith. And we have an amazing guest here. It's actually a, a friend of a friend of the podcast, um, a great friend of uh, Dennis Preston. Uh, we have Zoe Cavanaugh, uh, hailing from uh, right over the pond. So uh, please uh, go ahead and introduce yourself. All right. Hi, I'm Zoe Cavanaugh. I am a filmmaker, sometimes musician. But yeah, no, so I... Yeah, I don't know. I mean, direct music videos on right now, just on post production on my second feature, and uh, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. That's that's good enough. And then, um, what is the name of your uh, your uh, uh, your particular production company? Um, well, the one I've been working with recently, um, that I guess I like, I'm part of that company is up upon Blue Bridge Productions, and that is run by. My producing partner, Leona Duff, um, who produced Demon Hunter Time to Kill. Um, and yeah, was, that's yeah, that's the company. And um, yeah, very nice. Very nice. The, um, and we'll definitely talk about that feature in just a bit because we got to check it out. Um, uh, check out a little bit of it. Um, but on the Nightmares podcast, we always start with um, uh, with one question. It kind of devolves into a whole discussion. So, um, when did horror uh, touch your life? The um, uh, when it did begin to um, to get into your life, you know, and uh, maybe uh, do a little bit of a deep dive in, into what uh, what happened with that. I would say when I was very young. Over here, I don't know, you guys have different, like, cable, TV or whatever, but over in UK and Ireland, we have, like, we had a thing, Sky Movies, and I, I think Sky Movies is still a thing, but back then, uh, you know, dead screen films all the time. And um, late at night, uh, they would show horror films. And and, and um, I think one of the um, first horror films that I've ever seen was A Nightmare on Elm Street when I was like, I don't know, nine or 10, maybe. And uh, I just got obsessed. So surreal. In actual fact, I find horror films uh, are more effective when you're a kid, more imaginative and more, because um, you don't know whether they're based on real life or not because you're so young, but it sparked my imagination. And yeah, I would say uh, all, all those, uh, all, all like iconic characters are the ones that kind of, you know, it stuck with you, like whether it be Friday 13, Halloween, Elm Street, you know, Hellraiser. Um, but then at the same time, I was probably watching the real Ghostbusters all the time back then. But yeah, I'd say, yeah, that would be the earliest, uh, I guess, exposure to horror would be really long, sneaking into, into the living room late at night to watch absolutely messed up stuff <laughs> well so so now you you piqued my curiosity so so was there anything of the messed up stuff that you didn't listen to in the previous thing I'd, I'd love to hear about it well i i would say that i i actually remember this i was over at friend's house we recorded we recorded nightmare entry on vhs and i kept playing back johnny depp's blender death over and over again i just we were like wow Wow, he just goes under the bed, he comes out as milkshake. Oh, we need to see this again and again and again and again. And again. <laughs> um, so, yeah, 
uh, I just morbidly fascinated by by gory stuff. Um, and uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, well, the Return of Living Dead was 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 something I used to watch on repeat, and Evil Dead too. Um, yeah, I, and at that point, like, I mean, no one stopped me from watching those films because at that point, you become like, uh, if you've seen Nightmare on Elm Street, you know, anything lesser, it's not a big deal, you know. It's like, I think people are more concerned over, like, nudity than the air violence, you know. And, um, yeah. That's that's always such a strange thing. That's a thing over here in the U.S. too um, about like nudity versus violence. I always find it very strange. I, I subscribe to more of the like the European ideology with that. Like, I think if you're going to show one, you should just show both and call it a day. I mean, that's that's a stupid. Like, if you can watch people get dismembered, I, I guarantee you can handle some boobs. I mean, it's it's not that big a deal. Like, I think that one's like you know way more influential than the other one. Just to be perfectly honest. The um, uh, but you know, I, I, Zach started his journey very early too. He was like two or three or whatever. The uh, when he when he was rocking with uh, Freddie and Jason. So it's always fun to hear uh, when people have started their horror journey very very early on in life. Yeah, I think um, actually actually, which reminds me, I'd say before I'd seen a lot of horror films, the first gateway film into into horror would have been army of darkness i would say because I, I know it's more of a sword and sorcery comedy film but it was like i remember the prologue to that film and it's just called army of darkness it's not called evil dead tree or the medieval dead or anything it's just called army of darkness and that's what was sold as to target wider audience i was watching that and the opening where he's recapping evil dead 2 reenacted and i kept saying is this a sequel to something? And I was told, no, it's not. Watch the film. <laughs> eventually, <laughs> eventually, I found out it was a sequel to two mad horror films. But um, yeah, no, Army of Darkness was amazing. I, 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 it was, it was at the time. I don't know. I mean, I think a cartoon called Skeleton Warriors, and it looked like that, and I was like, oh my god, this kills guys fighting skeletons. But yeah, I, I'd say there were, there was, there was films that kind of led to opening the gates to more nasty or stuff <laughs> I, I love that i love that you know what and actually something funny i have never told him this um uh the um and i never actually said it to, to anybody because i just remembered it actually i had the same experience that you did um a friend of mine yeah. when i was very when i was very young um had a uh, i guess his dad had a vhs of army of darkness and we and we, we threw it on and that was before i even knew like kind of even what horror was, except um, a glancing look at uh, the remake of um, of the I think House on uh, on Haunted Hill, um, and and I got to see the security guard without a skull and without a face and all that great stuff, and I'm like, whoa, what's that? That's weird. They um, and then all of a sudden my buddy said, yeah, the um, hey, my dad's away. Like, you want to check out this uh, this really crazy movie uh, called Army of Darkness? I'm like, yeah, let's let's check it out. And I I have just very faint memories of of watching it the um but i it wasn't until you actually mentioned that that i remember that story yeah it just came to me there when i was thinking about going back you know thinking about all, when i was younger i was like wow oh yeah that happened just that prologue was so wild you know where obviously like they have this like uh, stop motion of his hand getting uh possessed with all the like stencil things and he cuts it the camera moves away it was, it was cleverly re, reshot to kind of target a younger audience, I suppose. But if for some reason, they got an R-rated anyway in America, but they were trying to get PG-13. 
but it was that geyser of blood in the pit that got that film the R rating, which was they should have just cut that geyser of blood out of the film. Um, it, it probably would have made a difference, honestly. The um, and that that movie is just morally more more funny than anything. I mean, I, I actually think that's probably one of the funniest horror movies of all time. The um, uh, it's it, I, it's a constantly quotable horror movie. So the um, so it's it's really really cool. Um, uh, the, um, you know, um, I'm curious though, too, is, um, did you also grow up, you know, like a lot of the United States and I don't know what your age bracket is, but the, um, uh, but I know that a lot of us that the, the nineties kids in America grew up with the, the goosebumps and are you friend of the dark kind of Saturday morning cartoon type deals. So I don't know if that was a thing overseas. We're starting to discover there's some very interesting differences. Um, we've been talking to a lot of people from a couple different countries and everybody has a very different experience. Um, when it comes to their first approaches to horror. So I'm very curious if you ever had, you know, uh, those shows growing up, you know, but again, I don't know, yeah. you know, where, where, when, what years that you were, you were coming up. Um, yeah, I think uh, Nickelodeon was shown Are You Afraid Dark and um, Goosebumps. And I did watch those shows and uh, I was, I was a big horror fan as a kid. There was even these like, um, they had these like, books spooky books called spine chillers and you collect them onto a folder uh, yeah i liked all that spooky stuff yeah uh, are you afraid of the dark and goosebumps i watched them but i don't actually remember much about the shows um i think i was actually x files uh, uh, I, w- I would watch as well and buffy for sure um but buffy didn't start till when did Buffy started, I think it was mid nineties. But yeah, as soon as Buffy started, I was watching that every time I came home from school. That'd be on like seven PM, and I'd like watch it five days a week when it was on Sky One. Um, I say we probably actually just had kind of the same upbringing of horror exposure, obviously in different regions. But I think uh, the same, yeah. And uh, let me see, what was the first horror film I'd seen? Um, I think I was six. No, I could have seen a horror film earlier than 2003, but I would have been 16 in 2003. And I went and see Freddy versus Jason um, <laughs> in the cinema. Yeah. yeah. The, and I went to see that on repeat, by the way, in the cinema. Yeah. It, it's, well, that it's was at the time, first. yeah, in the in, 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 period. You know, Hollywood doesn't do anymore where they had these soundtrack albums where they tailor made those soundtrack albums for my taste in music and and two of the songs out of the 20 would be in film and you'd get the album and you're like oh my god I'm going to see this film's albums daily then you watch the film you're like anticipating some songs are on the album like wow none of them <laughs> but um, yeah no I, I like Freddy vs. Jason it's, it's crap but it's good crap and um, The Ring I'd seen that as well then and then, yeah, a lot of the J-horror remakes were coming out at the time, the early 2000s, and Resident Evil and stuff. Um, yeah, it definitely made a, it made a comeback. You know, they got very Japanese uh, there in, in the early 2000s. And by the way, I'm, I'm like some of these some of these uh, um, phrases that you've been using. I'm gonna I'm gonna steal them from you. The um, it's 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 crap, but it's good crap. And, and then also, <laughs> I, I, and I and I feel silly because like. What you said about Nightmare on Elm Street, like about him turning into a blender, like into a milkshake, like I'm going to use that from now on all the time. Like, and I never even, I never thought to, to say that, but it makes so much fucking sense. They, um, uh, which I love. <laughs> it's a, that's a, that's a great yeah. way to describe that situation. Yeah. And that's the way it is to solidify it in film. I know there's a crap, there's a crappy deleted scene where he 
really rises out and I'm so glad it's not in the film. They should have just completely burnt the rushes of that that deleted scene because it kind of, if anyone sees it, it just ruins the illusion of the scene. But yeah, that's that's exactly, there's no other way to think about how, what happened when he went underneath that bed aside from Freddie doing a little with his glove or something, you know? Um, <laughs> the, the, uh, maybe 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 we'll, for, for a bit of fun and everything else, we'll uh, we'll put in a, a milkshake blender effect, a sound effect into that scene and see how it, <laughs> see how it sounds. The, um, uh, not, to, uh, not to crap too much on, on uh, the late Wes Craven's work, but I think that would be really fun to, to, to do. But, um, but no, no, I, I love that. You know, I, I'm, I'm curious because we've been asking, you know, like I said, we've had quite a few people from a couple different countries and they've had different experiences. What was, what is your experience? What was your experience like? And then what does it continue to be with, you know, with, in your country, um, when it comes to, comes to horror, is it, is it more Westernized like, like America or is it not as, is the community not into horror? Is there not really a, a necessarily a fan base? You know, um, I know it's kind of silly coming from the, you know, the, the, the UK area, but like, I am very curious about, you know, what's the horror community like out there and what was it like you being a very, very big fan growing up? You know, was that, was that kind of slightly part of the mainstream or was that, or was that very on the outskirts? No, I think it was fairly uh, common with it. Like, I mean, in a sense that, you know, I mean, there's always horror films coming out in cinemas. And uh, I would usually go to any any of them that pique my interest. And, you know, if you know, they'd either be sold out or no one goes see them. But, I mean, I think it's just reflective of, of, of the, of what people are interested in. Um, in terms of, um yeah i mean like i'm a bit of a rocker i'm into metal and most metalers like horror you know and uh like i would go to some local rock bars and i have a few friends and we, we all generally have the same taste you know so um i think definitely don't feel like an outsider of a horror and i mean horror over the years has just grown and grown and grown to be just kind of a, a thing like you know in 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 the zeitgeist but I, I I don't know. No, it's just uh, you know you go see a film, hits DVD or it's on streaming now. You know, um, but in terms of taste, I mean, it's hard to really say um, what do people do. I know that like in my family, uh, I know my parents own a car, uh, and uh, yeah, yeah. I guess in a sense, you could look at like like being a black sheep if you have that kind of taste but to me uh you know it's not just horror like i like sci-fi i like fantasy i like comedy you know um i like good storytelling and i like escapism you know so i think uh i yeah, no, no, and, and and the reason why I ask is is it's just been very interesting that we've had a guest on from Romania, we've had a guest on from Spain, and uh, and I remember specifically the the one from Spain was it was like yeah the entire country is just very like anti horror that you know they like they don't want any part of it they're very superstitious I know that's um, very specific to Spain so it's yeah, kind of been- mad. Yeah, because like I'd say that's definitely the case here because companies need to make money you know like I mean they put. X amount of money into these films or expect them, uh, you know, a certain number of people to show up. So, so the marketing would really target everyone as much as they can. You know, obviously like you'll see ads everywhere for any film that comes out. And, um, 
uh, yeah, so I mean, it's not like I'm living in a one horse town, I suppose, you know, like Dublin City, you know, with a city is a city, I think, you know. Um, and uh, yeah, people just see it as a film. Like, I mean, films are just seen as like, I mean, horror films would be considered like a popcorn flick, like comedies or, or action movies, you know, so. I mean, there's no there's no stigma against the genre. I've never really felt there was in my generation anyway. I, I'm sure there, there definitely was in the 80s. I think they had these whole, um, there was video nasties, there was things getting banned before my day, like, you know, and, uh, but I think times have changed, you know. For sure, for sure. They, um, uh, it's kind of, you know, so... I guess I guess the further west we've traveled in our in our um, international family at this point, the uh, the more it gets closer to what we experience in the United States. Um, you know, and on that same vein, um, you know, do you have this the same? You know, because we've gone to many cons and and we're very very big in the horror community. Um, you know, of you know filmmakers and you know creative people, podcasters artists, all that stuff. You know, we have a lot of cons and things like that. Is that the same, you know, where, where you're at? Um, uh, you know, do you have cons and things of that nature for, for the community or is that kind of exclusively uh, United States thing? Uh, we, we have Dublin comic con, but we did, um, someone did attempt to do a horror convention over here and it did, it wasn't too successful scream convention, but they put it in a hotel in the middle of nowhere. They had Kane Hodder, Tony Todd's, you know, they had a bunch of names like that, but no one showed up to that. However, um, in the UK, they have a bunch of them. And uh, in October, I went to For the Love of Horror, and that was one of the biggest ones over here, over in the UK. It was cheap fire to UK. And um, they had everyone there. They had the Terrifier casting crew. They had Fright Night. Um, oh, so many people were, were at that one. Um yeah, that 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 for the love of horror would definitely to me it was comparable to horror hound. And, you know, I was a horror hound, and uh, I mean, it's many um, horror conventions in America. I'm sure that'll change when you know in time. But like, um, yeah, the the UK has a lot of them. Ireland tried one, didn't really work out, but they have like the comic con ones and the sci fi stuff. You know, it does one seem to be more um, popular, I guess. Or maybe someone just took one risk and placed a bad location on one and it didn't do too well. And that's why they haven't gambled with doing another one over here. Just wasn't a success. Fair enough. The um uh, the fair enough. I love that. The so um you know we're and obviously we're big fans of the horror community. You know, when you go over to the cons, the um is it you know, we we always joke, say, you know, we we feel very, you know, there's a, an amazing belonging, you know, when we go to the cons and everyone, you know, it, it's it's a kind of a, a a strange twist of irony that, you know, all these horror fans that love, you know, deplorable, you know, sick and twisted things are the nicest, sweetest, caring, kindest people um, that we've had the pleasure of meeting. So I'm curious, you know, is that the same, you know, uh, type of deal over in the UK, you know, when you've gone to many of these cons, uh, do you have a sense of camaraderie within the community or is it kind of, kind of separated? Um, well, I'm a big, uh, I'm not a very social person. I'm quite a loner, but from observing with it, uh, like, you know, the few friends I'd, I'd be around with. Yeah, people like people like to dress up. The, the, the thing about horror is uh, a lot of people celebrate horror and they like uh, those people get into, get into character, dress up as their favorite characters. And 
you know, the whole thing looks like Halloween on steroids, you know. Um, I do, I think, uh, no, it's just a celebration of what people love in genre and it's all just fun, you know. Uh, it's a good way to kind of get, get away from your daily life. I think um, conventions are expensive. If I could afford to go to a lot of them, I would. Um, and... I'm not a big signature fan myself, but um, it was interesting, you know, like to see the talks, you know, when they, when you get Q and A's with, with cast and crew and um, getting to meet some of the, the celebs and, you know, there's always good vibes there, you know, uh, I guess. Nice. Nice. No, I love that. The, um, so, so I'm curious, you know, so I'm curious now, um, how did, um, filmmaking come into your life and then you know and then when we get into that you know I want to hear about how those those the love of horror and the love of filmmaking kind of connected the um so I'm curious how you you started making films and making uh, shorts and all that great stuff um I got into filmmaking because I've always had like a vivid imagination and I wanted to kind of bring my dreams to life like record my dreams in a sense you know I've always felt like I've had ideas in my head that I I, I want to just present to other people, you know, and and um when I like when I got the order, which was probably twenty years ago in my teens, I'm like, oh I I want to get into filming. And then I was like the star of mini DV. And so um ended up making a lot of not so good experimental stuff. And then I got into college in 2006, I did uh, film television, Bally Firm, uh, did a year in that, then a year in cinematography. And I was doing music videos for bands. And the great thing about getting into music videos, because, uh, you know, to try and, you know, because I had like a very surreal style. I wanted to kind of just, you know, use music videos as an exercise to learn more and improve more. And, uh, yeah, over time, then I went on to do a degree course in IEDT, National Film School of Ireland, and uh, started to develop. Um, I'd written actually like loads of different feature scripts, and uh, and there was you know there was always like, but I had one in mind I particularly wanted to make, and um, I uh, yeah, I mean, it, filmmaking. I'm trying to think. Uh, I've seen a lot of Irish films that are terrible and I just said to myself, you know, if they can do that, I, I'm sure I can do a bit better, you know, and uh, that's the thing. But, you know, my taste in cinema is mostly inspired by, you know, fantasy and horror and uh, less social drama. So a lot of the stuff that, like, say, I guess Irish funding parties would would finance would not be would not often be genre films and if they would they'd be really low grade well not in cost but low grade quality scripts that are comedy horrors that just I don't know just don't work but and I don't know I but you know I had some ideas I really want to tell and I really want to get into filmmaking to make um make a stamp. Uh, uh, on the planet so you know even if I'm dead and gone in the future that the stories that I created exist even if people like them or not I made a mark you know so it's kind of one one of the appeals to it you know everything that you just said resonates completely the um uh, the um and there's something about um longevity and legacy with film it's it's it's, it's kind of a cool thing you know like you just said 
after I'm long gone, those films will still be here. The um, uh, you know, as yeah. as a joke, but between independent filmmakers is is will anybody see them? I you know that's to be debated. But <laughs> but that being said, you know they will still be there. The um, and they will be there for <laughs> they'll be there. But uh, you know, uh, whether or not somebody will see them will will be um for history to decide. The um, uh, but um, no, I, I I love that the um. I mean, you know, obviously you just being a fan of horror, you know, just made sense for you to do more, you know, horror, you know, like things and kind of developed your style. Is that a fair thing? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, it, it's always been trying to kind of grab that style and, and just make it exactly what, what your visions in your head are and just trying to get it right. You know, I'm not kind of like, obviously you understand the language of cinema, understand the key techniques of, cinematography and directing and all that but then understanding that and then dismantling it and trying to do something unique with it i mean a lot of things like i guess um that's where sometimes experimental music video type styles come into play as well you know with montages and so forth but um yeah i mean I, in regards to horror like for example i've always been like watch a lot of horror films i'm like even the ones that i like i'm like uh oh, i would have liked to had they done that or had they done this had they approached that way and i i figured you know that's kind of got me into the writing of it. i think learning screenwriting i i read loads of horror scripts and just look at how they formatted it and um yeah uh, no, no, no. I love, I love that the, um, uh, you know, I love that that sensibility. So, give anything you wanted to add. Okay. The, um, uh, so, um, something that you know, speaking of style, so something that Zach and I, you know, uh, you know, we watched a couple different different items, a couple of music videos. Uh, we we got to check out your feature as well. Thank you for sending that over. The, um, and I, I wanted to talk to you about something. Something we we noticed and and we love, by the way. The, um, this is a a love letter uh, to your style is that it, it's very reminiscent of of you know that early 2000s to late 90s feel the um uh, you know that uh, the 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 feel of of the matrix and um underworld and it has that very um specific style that you know we were trying to come up with a with a freaking name for it um uh, but we couldn't actually identify it but we both absolutely love that that era and that style so i'm very curious you know was that intentional is that something that you that you love or is that just something that kind of happened organically because it's, it's a very cool and it's kind of it's kind of films that are of a bygone era like it's you know when we watched it we we're like like this is our fucking childhood like you know these are the movies that we watched as teenagers and 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 something that we have a a deep love for so i'm, I'm very curious you know was that um, uh, you know, was that your, um, uh, you know, was that your intention or did it just kind of happen organically? I think it happened organically because, um, I know when I was sh shooting that movie and Luca was DP in the force film, um, we were huge John Carpenter fans. And so that's like, that's why a lot of time we didn't go, want to go too wild with the camera and certain shots. We want to kind of restrain with some nice whites, but, um, until I'm, whenever I, color grade something it's always quite saturated because uh, i love colors and i think that's another factor into how it looks like that era the montages are another factor i guess my taste in gothic industrial music was another factor that kind of uh, set that tone and um, uh, inspiration like 
the, the honest truth is, and a lot of uh, critics have taught, like Buffy wasn't the influence for Demon Hunter, it never was. But I I took the idea that people were going to think that and I put a gag of like uh, an 8-bit ringtone of Buffy on the phone just to kind of give, give an Easter egg for something. But um, in certain ter- terms of style, um, it does kind of have that vibe. Um, it definitely doesn't have modern vibe it doesn't have even older vibe it just has that era vibe and i i did um unlike unlike most the majority i do i did like the milliovich resident Evil movies and the underworld movies but i had a good time with them even if they're uh flawed movies to me they're fun and um i liked the blade movies and um action horror i mean at the time i mean the that was kind of like there's a lot of that stuff in the late nineties and the in the two thousands, and I guess a lot of that just kind of um, uh, slid itself into the into the film of like when you're shooting a film and you're thinking of things. Uh, I mean, the film was storyboarded. I guess your imagination is pulling from all the stuff you've seen, and in that is forming the film style and. Uh, to me, I always felt colors set like a memorable. You always remember scenes, and you don't think about the colors, but the colors, like if a film was in black and white, kind of scenes would kind of blend into each other. But if there was different colors, different color, like say for example, the police station's red, and you remember it's red because of the you know theme breaks in, or like some of the night is blue, and then you have like you know some of it's green. You know, to me. They were kind of like, they're all taught about, you know, uh, whether tone consistency, uh, editing styles, um, or, you know, lenses or whatever. But it was trying to bring in all the inspirations of what inspired the story. And um, the interesting about the first Demon Hunter was, I guess I was trying to be a bit, uh, we didn't have a lot of money. So we were trying to make it half a character drama and half an action horror and I felt like um at the time I felt like that was kind of like that was a story that I was really proud of and I wanted to tell however um audiences expect to be horrifying demons for the whole film uh but yeah I was just I was I was inspired by superhero movies uh script formats at the time like I guess like Iron Man and uh all those origin films and I uh, X-Men Force Class but I guess um and uh, the, the audience it was targeted for wanted something different but whatever i don't care i like that film um, <laughs> the um no absolutely and and like it was it was yeah i mean and, and um it's funny that you mentioned the the color saturations it reminded me very much of uh, uh you know of the matrix as well you know everything in the matrix world is green and everything in the real world is blue so it has that very very distinct look and you know and 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 i was even saying you know um the early 2000s superhero movies, which I, I love, you know, they may be flawed, but I do love them. The Sam Raimi's and the Daredevils and that that type of you know <laughs> type of feel to it. I was I like Daredevil. They, I, I, like, I mean, like yeah. you know, and and, yeah. I, and I mean this, and, and by the way, and, and I mean this 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 with the most love. I was almost expecting like you know some early 2000s like Evanescence to come on and and like and like really just if, jam. If we could have afforded. They I would have. I would I would have been like right there. I'd have been like I'd be like I am I am fucking in this. The um uh, the and then also too is the soundtrack was it was was great like i loved 
you know, the um, uh, you know, for for being an independent movie, it was it was really good and engaging because most of the time is it, let's be perfectly honest. Like most of the time when you watch a lot of independent films, and we've watched several, and we have our own, you know, unless we know an artist, the uh, which we've used before, we we know composers and artists. You know, most of the, it's all, you know, stock bullshit. The, um, it's all, you know, stuff that you've pulled the internet and everything else. And sometimes it works, but you can still tell. When I was watching this, I'm like, oh, this is, this is great. The, this is actually fitting. It's, it's engaging. I, I like the beat to it. Um, and it's very fitting of that, of that style. So, I, you know, I, it, it, and this is not so much a question as it is a compliment to you. Well, I'd actually like to talk about the soundtrack for a bit on the film because it was, to me, it was it's extremely important. Like, as you said, a lot of independent films, they either, and I think it's actually this, this is the factors. They're afraid to reach out to a label to negotiate a cost for a song. They're afraid to reach out for certain artists to see how much they can afford. So they go with the safe option of getting someone cheap and that's not putting their heart and soul into the film. To me, there's a rock opera element to the whole Demon Hunter franchise because it was all created through music. And to me, like the Crow, music is an important piece of the film. And um, some songs were, were created uh, by myself. Uh, in actual fact, me is Hogan who plays Taryn. She sings the funeral song. That song was uh, written by me, Scott Hope, and, and sung by Horror. And then there's uh, licensed songs. There was this fantastic artist who I discovered on YouTube called The Enigma TNG. And he made so many like great industrial metal tracks. And I was hearing all of them like, I want to use that. I want to use that. So I, I, I talked to him and I was like, man, I have these ideas for some of these tunes. They're going to kick ass in the film. And so he even had his dubstep track, Monster Killer and the end credits, but there, he had this really awesome heavy metal tune that I used in the um, the fight when she fights all the demons in the in the castle. Um, but yeah, no. And then we got Julian Kay, which are kind of a big band in LA. Um, and we used one of their songs for a montage and um, so it was a mixture of making some songs, licensing song, songs and um, also telling the composer to approach it in, in, a, in a more fun way and get rid of the whole generic tone that a lot of composers do because uh, give it a bit more synth vibe to it because to me it has to kind of stick out because the simpler the melodies, the more catchy they become in people's heads. And that's kind of how we approached it. Um, I definitely don't go the lazy cheap route with soundtrack for my films. You know, I think it's it it is really important. And uh, yeah, um, yeah, I think the soundtrack's pretty kick ass in that film. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. And, and and by the way, you don't have to talk to me about it. I'm a, I'm a obsessed with with music almost as much as I'm obsessed with film. And actually, something fun. And again, another another, another you know a, a really good compliment that I love is 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 you know like you and I, and I remember like we were, we were talking, we we're having a good time with the film. And that and that's ultimately, I'm sure, what your goal was is to is for people to have a good time. You know, watching this film, and 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 at the very very end, you legitimately had a, a a roll credits moment too, which I loved. That's very much of that 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 two thousands is the title of the movie is the last line of the movie, and and literally yeah. that's a running joke, you know, of roll credits. And I'm and I'm like, she literally did a roll credits. The um, uh, and I and I <laughs> and I fucking love that. The um, it's so I was I was like, I'm like ah, oh! <laughs> the um, uh, and then of course the montage at the end, and like I mean. You know, and that's why I asked you these questions about like the 2000s, because even the credits had that um, had that feel, the opening credits with some of the effects and everything else that had that feel to it. And, you know, and like I'm 
and it's so fun. Like, I, okay, I'm gonna I'll give you a really. This is a, this will be a good compliment for you. I when I was watching this movie, I was 13 year old, uh, 13 years old again, riding my bike two miles to go see Electra because I, I heard there might be a a, a a girl kiss in the movie. Like, you know, like that's <laughs> like, 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 I mean, like just stupid logic like that. But like, but it, it and but it's it was it's just a a fun memory of like these type of those Daredevil and Electra and like seeing all those movies and like, you know, and I don't know, I was, it was fucking optimistic when I was 13 and not so fucking cynical as I am now at 31. So it like, it was, it's, 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 it's fun to, to, to remember those times and remember, you know, when, you know, life seemed like there was, there was more ahead and, 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 and it put me, I, and I'm certainly that I'm sure that was not your intention. You were out there to make a good film, but you know, it had a, had a really cool effect on, a kid who was a, you know, a preteen teenager in the very early two thousands when these, when the style was, was so popular and so in in vogue. So I, I, I commend you and appreciate that. And and there, well, there was a talk like that. I mean, in both films, the new one that's in production and the previous one, the idea was like, I, I, I know Batman Forever is not a great film, but I remember at the end of that film, you know, well, at the end of a lot, lot of superhero films, you go out and you want to be like the superhero. You want to kick ass and, and you get send the audience out on like a punch, like, you know, a feel good, you know, and, and that kind of approach is like, you know, treat like if I was like 13 years old and watching a movie like this, I want to go out and hunt demons, ride a motorbike and do stuff like that. And that's, you know, you want to put an inspiration in it. You know, I don't want to end my films on a on a on a bummer note because that's 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 robbing people of of the joy that they had watching the film. Uh, you know, so definitely, I just want people to kind of, uh, I guess, like Stallone does it just you know motivate people and inspire people and just get ready to kick ass. You know, I, I love that, and I, and I think that more films nowadays need to have that. The um, so I know you know we're all filmmakers and everything else. So is, is, Zach, I was curious if you had any any perspective, especially with the feature, um, from a director's perspective. You know, you know, um, maybe any any questions about process because we like to talk about that too. Um, uh, the process of filmmaking and you know and you know what those different steps were. So I'm curious if and he's also Zach's also a post guy as well. So the um he might have a few uh, you know tidbits or things to add. Um, I don't really have any questions about the uh, your directing process, but your post production process. I would love to hear what that was like. Yeah, um, uh, on the first film, uh, by the time we actually had wrapped the movie, we actually had ran out a lot of money. But there was a post production process. Uh, the second film's post production is going to be even bigger. But in the first one, we had um, uh, we would send the film out to different. Uh, visual effects artists to do pieces here and there and different like like there'll be a main visual effects guy and then have other people do the pieces of the files uh, and that in terms of sound design there was like a few different people that would like work on the files and and you, you would basically send them uh the project files and um where the audio on the videos and um you know they'd send them back to you and uh there's there's a lot of like you know back and forth like that. Um, I'm trying to think. A lot of email, a lot of back and forth, a lot of sending things. Maybe sometimes getting drives to people. Um, we I would say uh, 
one thing that probably gave the most criticism on the fourth film was its sound mix uh, that I noticed. But you know, that was just, that was another factor that we didn't we didn't have completion funds or or the money to get a proper five by one mix on the film, and there was a time pressure to get it out at a certain point. Um, but we did the best we could. Um, uh, Brian did the best he could, and. Uh, yeah, the visual effects are pretty good. Um, I think uh, uh, shooting that film was like intentionally knowing that we can't afford a lot of great CGI, so we knew only to use CGI at more, the more magical moments of the plot, you know. So there was a lot of that factor knowing that w- what we would get CGI artists to do for the film, and there was always references like we'd show, I would show Mario Bortas, um like other films i'm like can you do it like this can you do it like that and um there was you know x amount of money for this and x amount of money for that and how much we can afford those things and um i actually remember we had a colorist on the post-production who was hired to do the grade and i i popped in to see what he was doing and he was just putting like um a little overlay on um in Adobe Premiere and I kinda like no every shot has to be graded. You're not you're not you're not putting one overlay on a scene. Get out of here and I I, I took over his office. <laughs> just, <laughs> and I just graded every single fucking angle like make sure it looks good because to me color is very important and you can't just put a flat blue and make something look dull and boring you know it, it, it needs to be vibrant so i mean that was the thing i think we were using da vinci and premiere for the grades um pro tools was used for the sound design um uh, for visual effects, I, I couldn't really tell you uh, what what they were using for that because I didn't really ask them. Um, I would imagine After Effects would have been one of them. Um, and we didn't have too much CGI in the film. Um, I know I did the title card, actually, um, myself. And uh, I did the muzzle flashes myself. Um, and... Uh, yeah, there was a lot of dubbing. In actual fact, that was another factor. It was uh, we, I knew that going in that like this film's gonna be dubbed in loads of different languages. So usually when I go and shoot a film, the main priority all you need to get is just clean dialogue and that's you know, and everything else all from the ground up. All the sounds from walking to breathing, most of that is post sound. And the only thing, most of it on. The, the dialogue, the 50% of the dialogue was on set dialogue and 50% of it was ADR'd because we wanted to sound, sound clean really good. And obviously the level mix on, on the final mix, I mean, we're hoping that when a new film comes out that we'll put time into doing a remaster on the fourth film and get a better sound mix for people. And um, I know that because uh, like all the sound files are all there and the old they all sound fine it's just a matter of mixing them properly i suppose um and uh yeah so we did the best we could we didn't have a lot of money in total um in total overall including the expenditure on marketing and post-production the film ended up costing about seventy thousand euro um 
when it's all said and done. Um, yeah. I don't know. Very, very nice. Very nice. You know, um, uh, the, um, yeah, no. Um, just to compliment your visual effects, I will say they are better than most of Disney's visual effects. So you know the effort was definitely put in there. Um, good job on that. Uh, visual style and everything was great. So I mean, fantastic job on it. And yeah, I don't know what else to say. But, yeah, the, the, yep, the, great the, job. Thanks, I, I very much it. enjoyed it. The um, the um, uh, yeah. Awesome. Well, actual fact. Um, the the scene where the the, the the hunters, uh, actually the KIC, the, the demon hunters, they're hunting down all the, the red cloaked demons and they're all shooting them. Um, I was actually watching real life execution videos to see how gunfire looks and blood looks like, to see how it actually looks. So I was watching ISIS execution videos and I was like, I know I shouldn't be in this messed up, but uh, blood seems to be red smoke. It's not, it's not a sharp digital little sport. It's red smoke, you know, and that's kind of what just did, you know. So you went full Tom Savini. The um, uh, the um, uh, <laughs> I'm gonna bring back my, my my photos from from Vietnam. The um, uh, and let's see what we get. The um, uh, <laughs> I fucking love that. That's great. The um, uh, the um. Anyway, so I, I'm curious. The um, uh, because I I'm an actor. I always like to talk to, talk to directors and everything else when it comes to you know the process with with actors. You know, uh, walk me through it. Like, you know, how do you how do you talk with actors? Work with actors? You know, I know we're 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 an interesting bunch. Um, and we're all different. And we all have our own little needs and and everything else. So I'm curious, you know, how you as a you know as a director um uh, work with your actors as you go through the process of of creating the film in terms of uh directing actors um it really depends on scenes the context and uh everything so i know that like with neve playing taryn uh, on the first film anyway we want we wanted her to uh be going through a lot you know she plays she plays three different personalities in, in, in that film. Uh, one personality is the kind of messer, immature teenager, uh, like 16 or whatever. And uh, one of the personalities is the moody, badass, uh, broken, uh, vigilante in present day. And then the other one is she portrays uh, Falstaff, Michael Parle's character, when she's possessed at certain points of the movie. So she has to go through those three different things. And I think uh, me and me have gone very well that we would talk about the the mindset of the character and how to approach it. We talk about what we liked in other films and what we like in this character. And, uh, we, you know, the thing was, she didn't get to get a rehearsal with this film because she was casted a week before filming because our main lead had dropped out, screwed us over. Um, but luckily, we got lucky with Neve because she is also a stunt performer and um, really, really talented. But she was able to drop in and be really, really good. Then regarding uh, the villain, Michael Pearl, um, he um, he knew the role. I mean, we, I told him it's kind of like... Um, Imagine like a like Pinhead or or Satan or a very like you know aristocratic, elegant, malicious, sinister guy you know that has the power to charm but also strike you at any moment. And I think um, I would do like character uh, biographies for for a lot of main players on the film 
so they'd get like a backstory of every character and they'd understand the mindset of the characters even even characters that kind of smaller support roles like some of the demon hunters uh so they'd understand their life situations in the plot of the film you know so you kind of because in the fourth film the audience is dropped in the middle of something that's probably bigger and uh, we're only getting um, a slice in the life of these characters yeah, on, on a pivotal plot line of uh, of a main plot line of their lives. And so that, that was kind of like the approach, you know, um, is there's a lot has happened before and after this, you know. And uh, in terms of um, the cop, Detective Becca, um, I wanted them to be a mess. Uh, everything on his life just went wrong. And, uh, you know, he's on the path of redemption. And But we have to put him in the biggest downward spiral to kind of get him out of that and maybe uh, turn his life around. And so the first film is Dark Elements to it. And, you know, I would basically on set talk to uh, the actors and explain where the characters are in these points in in these situations um yeah i suppose nice very nice the um i always love i love that when you have a creative you know collaborative process uh with the whole thing yeah the, the one thing i never want to overlook um because uh, i always love having these these conversations you know um were there any um uh, you know funny stories uh from from the feature film you know um things that maybe went wrong or you know you know the the, the delivery truck didn't show up on time or um you know things you can laugh at now but 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 and then you're in the situation you're like oh my god what 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 happened here because we got years of those you know but i always love to you know it's, it's almost a venting session at that point um for us filmmakers to talk about some crazy shit that went wrong there's uh there's a lot on that force film that film was extremely troubled uh it's lucky it got finished i'll be honest with you like i would say speaking of trucks there was a point in time where um there was an equipment truck that went missing said so, like someone parked in and so someone who was hired as a driver parked in some place that he couldn't remember it was uh, he wasn't even in this the country at the time uh, and so the producers had to find it and couldn't find it for a whole day the the equipment truck so he parked um, it in a place that he didn't remember where he parked it and then exactly left and then left the country yeah and left left it there for us and we didn't know where it was it was a complete disaster and another disaster was um no i can't i can't go into a lot of problems on the film but i would say a few um yeah, as you know, I have to recast uh, the film. We had shot, we shot about twenty five percent of the film with different actresses, oh and um, she decided to drop it when she decided to shoot the rest of the movie. And we were like prepping. We had we, I rent out a workshop and had special effects production designers, costume designers, all using that space for two months before shooting. So pre production of two months and. Um, but a week before film begins, she drops out and, uh, you know, some people were saying they would have given up. But I was like, no, there's too much money on the line. So we put a call out and I got Neve on it. Neve dived into it. We just went straight into making the film. I had to kind of, unfortunately, we had to remake a bunch of scenes. However, 
there are scenes with the different actors that are still in the film. This is a Back to the Future situation, kind of like. I mean, <laughs> in the flashback scenes, when you see the back of Taryn in that white hoodie, it's more likely going to be the previous actress, or does it actually an entire section when when Taryn, uh, you know, sneaks through the creepy building to find her little sister? All the shots up until Taryn. Uh, running over to her sister is a different actress, but because of the shadows and things, you can cannot tell. And and she was the same body and height type of Neve, so it kind of it worked out really well. And um, it just cost us more money to remake a bunch of scenes in the film. Um, there was uh, so you get to you get to play find Chris Stoltz a couple times. The um uh, in the film, the um you're like, oh, which one is which? Which one is which? The um uh, the um and 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 Zach has told me many times that there are there are things in in our films that he uh, that he has noticed um that he didn't get a chance to fix in uh, in posts and and he's like, if you don't notice it, I'm never gonna tell you the um. So there's mysteries in our own stuff that I've never seen, but um but I'm sure it's yeah. quite interesting for you to to find you know which one is which. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and here's the thing: is like, I mean, I've I've seen the film a million times. I, I you, you're never going to tell unless someone unless, unless someone like me tells someone. Oh yeah, yeah, that's someone else there. Um, uh, and uh, let me see what what other things went wrong. It was uh, there. Oh yeah. So Uh-oh, here we during go. During the climax, <laughs> during the climax when they had turn and and eaten and. Becca go to the castle and Taryn and Becca go up the castle stairs and they have a little ward ward before she kicks open the door to see the cult and all stuff. When she's at that door with the two of them and you see the see outside window of the castle and we actually have a HMI inside that that castle, a giant light just beaming down. Um it fell. It fell while we we're shooting that scene. Broke oh, and smashed. Somebody out there clumsily just made a fall and I fell to my knees in fuck what the fuck what am I going to do so I was in the castle shooting the scene and I saw that I heard the noise and the light went down and I fell to my knees saying oh my fucking god and I was just thinking about the cost of damages and I was like no oh my god luckily I don't know why just there was a second HMI we had. I was like, where am I spending this money? But um, we had a second HMI to shoot. It's in an equipment but, truck that, that, that you couldn't find. That's what the money is. It's in another equipment trunk that you never found. <laughs> the um, <laughs> Still, still a big, really expensive life fell down and broke. And uh, oh, another thing that happened was someone who was doing the. Um, uh, data wrangling uh, almost deleted the previous day's footage by mistake on the set and we were looking for we couldn't find it they did actually but luckily the camera assistant had a copy of it because we, like, we were like losing our mind on this one person who had actually just decided to clear the fuck drive they yeah they, 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 they cleared the whole the whole drive like i was gonna ask did they format yeah, the card for, or for today's the, filming geez. yeah for, for the, because it's the start of the new day and i'm like did you not back up he's like oh oh uh, no i'm like oh my 
God. And I was like kicking walls and banging my head against the concrete wall near the castle. And then um, when the camera says said, he just walked over. It's like, I made a copy. <laughs> I was like, yes. Oh Sounds like brand. Yeah, give the, give whoever had a copy of metal. You like you know. But by, by the way, too, a quick fun fact: the, you know that that happened with uh, with Toy Story two. Um, they they accidentally deleted the entire film, but because one of the associate producers was on maternity leave, she had a copy at home. They um, oh my god! They lost the entire movie, like not just a scene, the whole fucking thing. They um and they and they accidentally d- deleted the whole movie, and it was only because of this producer that they actually still had it. So like five years or six years of 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 it, I couldn't even imagine. Like you know, we we're panicking over like I have goosebumps, like hearing your story about one fucking scene. That is literally one of my worst nightmares on set. I handle all that myself because I'm too goddamn paranoid to let somebody fuck that up. Because if somebody did, I might actually kill them. Yeah, that might actually happen. He's yeah. the only person who's allowed to say I'll fix it in post because he literally will be the person to fix it in post. Yeah. The um, uh, so yeah, yeah, no, I I, I think I. I like I need I need to like stop drinking this coffee the um because I think I had a, I think my heart just fucking dropped the um uh, the um <laughs> I, I am so sorry you had to go through that that's again that is one of my worst nightmares to ever happen that is terrifying a whole day's worth of footage God only knows how much you spent that day gone because some asshole decided delete. Yeah, or four. Yeah. Did, did you not think to go up the chain of command? Make sure it was backed up at least twice. Yeah. Nope. Yes. The uh, oh, that's you know. Man, so mortifying. <laughs> I remember, like that was, and the, those situations happened in the space of twelve hours. The HMI falling the night oh before, and the the the, the, the driving was literally the morning after. Oh, oh guys. The, f- the fact you didn't <laughs> kill anybody that day. I commend you because I would have lost my mind. I would have, I would have had, or to, my head would have exploded. I would have had know. to bail him out of jail. The um, uh, the because he would have killed somebody. <laughs> the um, uh, you know, like and then and, and, like that. You know what's so funny? Like we've heard so many stories, and we've had our own stories. Like I, we've had issues with renting cop cars. We've had. Um, you know, we picked a, a film date that had every religion's holiday under the sun, like Easter, a Jewish holiday, and a um, a, and a um, uh, the and another holiday as well. The uh, we've literally had all of uh, all of this stuff. We had a guest who had a TV blow up and start a fire in their set. That story wow. makes my heart drop way more than any of these other stories. Yeah. The um, because uh, the whole fucking thing could blow up as long as you as long as you um, if if you had a choice if the set was burning down, your choice is to fuck all the other things. Grab the day's work. The, that's the first thing you go to. The uh, first it's the people. Second, it's the it's the day's work. That's it. The um, uh, you grab the day's work and then you run the fuck out. Dude, that was Spielberg's idea. Jaws. Fuck the boat. Save the audio equipment. <laughs> yeah, the audio, yeah. I don't. I don't. I don't know if you've ever heard that story. They um uh, on Jaws they had they had two boats. One that was supposed to sink and one that wasn't. The one that wasn't started to sink. And um, and literally, Steven Spielberg is on a bullhorn, like, get the actors off the boat. And there was some poor old sound man with his $50,000 Nagra recording machine over his head. He's like, fuck the actors, save the sound department. <laughs> and he ended up tripping and it fell. And it uh, fell in the water, in the salt water. And I remember, like, without missing a beat, he's like, well, I guess that's a wrap for sound. <laughs> the, oh, my, the, oh, my. <laughs> 
I love it. And, and by the way, this is we're all friends. It's all among friends here. So this is a time for us to to vent and, you know, and 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 have a fun time uh, talking about this. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure that you it, this was a nice cathartic experience for you to get it off. Oh, yeah. Chest. I mean, there's there's an even worse situation that happened on the film. And I, I mean, I suppose I could tell, but I can't name names. That's, oh, you know, no, maybe. no, no, whatever you want yeah, to do, what, whatever you want to do. Now, now you've piqued my curiosity. What's, no, what the maybe, worse maybe than I, won't, I won't tell you, but I'll, I'll, I'll kind of suggest a bit. We had a situation that uh, one of the actors just was really hard to find. And we literally had to, like, they, they were just really difficult to get a hold of. And we actually had to drive around to find where they were. I was, like, finding a miss, missing person at some point. And, uh, they were actually on their own actual downward spiral and it just made production really hard and, uh, you know, delayed a lot of production on, on the days. It was a nightmare as well. There was all these factors that tried to get in the way to stop the film getting made. Um, the fact that people have a film that they can watch that makes sense, that looks nice, that has a coherent story is a miracle. I'll, I'll tell you that, like... Film, film, hey, filmmaking is a miracle all by itself. It, it truly is. Yeah. It's, it's just a fucking miracle that like shit gets done. The um of any kind of dealing with so many personalities, you know, and and you have this thing about you know doing. And I've been in the producer role, the onset, and then also to the director role as well, and for you as well. And it's like literally trying to wrangle like five or six different ships in the middle of a storm while all the different ships are going into five different directions. And then you all have to wrangle them back in, into this area. Mm. And then sometimes you have to, you have to make sure that one ship is 20 feet, one ship's 10 feet, one ship's five feet. And it, it's, it's truly a miracle that, well, first of all, that all of us are not in insane uh, asylums, um, uh, you know, because <laughs> of the trauma, the, uh, but the other thing is that they actually get fucking done. Yeah, exactly. Like to me, I'm, I'm, I'm I'm happy that the film is done, it exists, and it makes sense, looks good, and uh, I'm proud of it. I think it's a good film. Um, you know. So. No, ab- absolutely. The um, uh, so um, so you know, I I did have um. One thing too is I the one we did watch one of your other shorts though too, and I didn't want to not talk about it. You know, because Zach's a fan of the of the game, um, uh, Dead by Daylight. So, you know, I, I'm sure oh, yeah. yeah, the um, uh, some I'm, I'm curious because Zach was going to have he's he's played the game far more than than I have. So he's going to have probably more questions and more comments than anything and everything else. But, um, you know, I'm curious, you know, why did you, you know, uh, particularly want to go after that? Are you a fan of the game or, you know, or the uh, or was there another yeah. idea uh, involved in it? Well, first thing I'll say is that we did want to hook someone up, but there was a lot of health and safety precautions and we couldn't get it done. And it was just. It was in the script. It was supposed to happen, didn't happen. So, if if you're wondering why there's no hooking in the thing, it's actually things gotten away from that actually happening. However, uh, yeah, I'm a huge fan of Dead by Daylight. I I don't play as often as I used to now because they nerfed Dead Hard, but I used to play it a lot. And I was going to make it. The the actual short became much more successful than I expected it to be, and I should have made more, but. I, I didn't. Um, however, so I wa- I wanted to kind of use, make a fan film of it to showcase that I could do a, a visual 
true adaptation of the tone and feel of video game you know so I, was, I chose Dead by Daylight I'm like let me see if I can emulate the tone of the game in like six minutes you know and I feel like because I I, I used that location for uh, another a music video for a band called Clan Zymox Chi and I remember I was there and I was like this looks like the um, Macmillan Estate that by Daylight I might do a short here so I so we talked about, and initially it was going to be track burn script, and but then Halloween 2018 was coming out, and we're like, okay, maybe, maybe we'll change it to Mars, but I'll leave a trap in it as an Easter egg to kind of say that oh, there's loads of other killers in these realms or whatever. But that that came off wrong because people think, <laughs> oh, why is Mars putting traps down? And I'm like, I didn't expect people to really be that straight about it like to me i was just putting an easter egg in there it wasn't to deal with wires but whatever fine um i cast people that look like characters and i think it i think i think it it, it gives off the tone of the game but uh we that cost me about 400 euro to make we shot it in in about seven hours uh from like i don't know from 7 p.m. to to time like it was starting to get sunrise um and um yeah i i i i just wrote it in like a match like how would a match play out in the game i was bummed i couldn't hook up anybody but you know it, it turned out really well and it seems that like the majority of the gamers seem to have responded very well to the short i mean it's gotten like a few hundred thousand views and a lot of people connect to it. a lot of people say Meg was well represented. I was like, okay, yeah. Uh, Cause like that line she says, um, Oh um, hello, yeah. That line she says, fuck that shit. I'm out. Um, was kind of like, well, I think it was kind of like a meaning of what people would say regarding Dead by Daylight. Um, when they decide, fuck it, I'm out. Like I'm not going to rescue the person. I want to just escape where and do the, do the rescue and the end game but um yeah i did i don't know i mean i thought it was fun uh we shot that on the sony a7s and we used a bunch of led panels not too much stuff and the costume itself um i knew a guy who had he was a huge halloween fan michael mars fan and he uh he had that costume and we we had he had a halloween 2 costume and I decided to go against the game and choose the Rob Zombie costume, kind of, because I was like, not because it's in the Rob Zombie universe, but it was the idea that, like, if Myers was around since the early days now, he would probably look like that. <laughs> you yeah. know, like, he wouldn't be, he would be ironing his, his boiler suit, you know? So, uh, that that was kind of the approach there. Have them in like a raggedy Mars costume because it that was in my head. That was that was a few little liberties I made, you know. So, um, but I I think it was fun. It was just for fun. I I didn't care if people liked it or not. But yeah, what did you what did you think? The um, what, I thought it I I definitely thought it was solid, well shot, and everything. Uh, you would essentially addressed all the questions I had, especially about the whole trap. That was going to be the first thing I asked. Um, how come there was a bear trap when Michael was the killer? But no, um, 
when when you explained it, I'm like, okay, that makes sense, you know, that with the entity and everything like that. Maybe the trapper left one there, and he just decided, well, I'm finished here. I don't need that thing. I, I got a hundred. It was a bad decision here. on my part. Yeah, it was a bad decision on my part to put that there because because like there's just too many people asking that question. My bad. I just thought, you know, it was an Easter egg to put in for people, but people connect to the tomorrow's. You know, I just figure like it's a yo. Know, six minutes how do i put as much dead by daylight in six minutes you know um, yeah um but, as for not including the hook or anything like i assume there was just like well you're just no way you could figure out how to add the hook so i'm just like all right well i guess he activated a mori totem or something like that so he's just murdering everybody instead of fucking him so i'm like that one i that was like the least of my concerns because as a filmmaker i understand yeah that'd be a pain in the ass to pull off but you know your location everything was solid that was one of the things i was most impressed with because when it comes to getting locations i suck and i hate it because everyone wants to charge an arm and a leg for them so it's just like yeah, yeah solid looks good and yeah costumes were great uh yeah solid and it was fun yeah, it, it was fun, and you know, and 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 I think Zach and I were like, we're like, oh, it's a Rob Zombie mask, and I'm like, we're like, well, at least, uh, at least she didn't go with Return of the Michael Myers mask. Oh my, the um, uh, we're, we were fine with the with the Rob Zombie mask, the um, my uh, the yeah. um, but um, but no, it was fun. It it was exactly fun, and and I'm glad you added in the you know the 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 ending there, where you know like you know fuck this, I'm out, and you know type of deal. Like that was fun. It reminded me of of Zach and our's days of playing um. Uh, uh, what's 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 the one uh, PS game that we that we we always love to do with all the action heroes? Oh, Pro Force. Yeah, it reminded me of the Pro Force days. The um of of, of oh, uh, Pro Force. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, um, uh, <laughs> me of that. I would always like make sure I get to the chopper and leave them behind as the whole world explodes behind them because it's funny. Oh, dude, we would just freak out. We were like, <laughs> we're like, oh, fuck you, Zach. The um uh, the- every time they could never make it to the chopper. I just all right, we're at the end of level. <laughs> He was as bad as, as like that Family Guy joke about the old uh, basketball game. Corner three, corner three. Yesterday, corner three. The um, uh, the uh, he was terrible. The um, uh, the um, but no, it was a lot of fun. The um, uh, you know. And I, and I remember asking him questions, like, you know, when they're doing the generators, I'm like, oh, that's two generators. How many generators do they need? And like, oh, it's like four. They um, uh, so it was fun to to have that that kind of conversation while it was all going on. Yeah, and um, I don't know if you noticed, but. Uh, I use uh, Nia's uh, pain sound uh, when Nia was getting killed. Her actual voice actor sounds just for a little thing when she dies in the in the shorts. Just kind of like, oh, that's Nia's voice. But obviously, it was just for that little bit. But yeah, there was little tiny little sound cues from the game used. And so nice, nice. The um, mm. uh, so um, so yeah. So you know what? I I I typically wrap up every pop. <clears throat> Every podcast with a question of the podcast, um, uh, you know, where we go around the horn and we we talk the, um, uh, you know, and I um, and I think this question is more appropriate, but it might be a little bit more deep. We kind of already answered it a little bit, but I want to get into more of a deep dive with it is, you know, what do you you know, what do we all think is one of the biggest issues with um, independent films, whether it's shorts or with features, you know, something that you notice that like <clears throat> if they change, you know, one or two items, this would elevated to a much better uh better level so i'm curious you know and it could be horror it could be any other genre but there's typically a lot more independent horror than there is any other genre so i'm curious you know when it comes to independent films you know like what is your observation you know from other filmmakers like you know gosh 
if they just did this one or two things, this this movie would be so much so much better and okay. so much more quality. They took a minute to take care of X, Y. This is just my opinion. I mean, um, so with the second Demon Hunter film, it's it's a lot of fun. And like to me, I feel like uh, the problem with a lot of independent films is, and I remember there was a time where I used to go to a lot of festivals a lot of them take themselves way too seriously. That's one problem. Another problem is like a lot, a lot of them come quite dull or um, just misery porn in a sense. You know, I, I feel uh, sometimes it's a script where people uh, kind of set their whole film in the house or they, they you know, they, they compress or they compromise their own vision because they feel it's cheap as cheapest way to make the film is shoot it in the one location that stuff doesn't do it for me i was like you know if you can if you can tell a story and you can do all this all these different things to keep it engaging and exciting take the risk see if you can get the location see if you can get all the actors you can get all these pieces together to me you know i could never do a situational film because it just would bore the hell out of me i couldn't do it like i i think um you know, social drama or social horror films or to call it elevated horror films or in, independent ones, I, I, they don't really do much for me. Like, I, and I think uh, a lot of people are trying, you know, they, you know, people, there is people that like those films, but there's a lot of them uh, in the independent scene. And I just feel like just have a good, fun script, tell a good story with good characters and don't compromise your vision. I, I know you may not have much money and uh, already tell it or don't tell it. If, if, if you're not going to give the script justice, don't make the film, you know, and uh, maybe write it as a book or, or do some or tell a different story. Um, you know, like I can't really... Uh, you know, tell people what to do with their work. People should just make what they want to make to express themselves, even if it's good or not. Um, but just my two cents is like, just make it entertaining. Don't bore me. <laughs> the, um, anything worth doing is is worth doing, right, Zach? Uh, lack of passion. Um, there are too many goddamn filmmakers who feel like they need to make a film just because they were told to make it like for like features, like plenty of filmmakers I've, I've met. Well, actually more people from like school and stuff like that. We need to make the feature just cause we need to make it. And it's like, no, no, do not do it for that reason. Make the feature because you want to make the feature. Because you can tell when somebody wants to make the movie they're making or when they have to make the movie they're making. There is a clear difference in quality. And it fucking annoys the shit out of me because all you're doing is wasting a whole bunch of people's time. Because at the end of the day, the film's probably going to be crap. And it just... Don't fucking do that. Make the film because you want to. Put everything you can into this. Because people could tell. People could tell when you actually put the effort into your movies. Like, it's a night and day difference. So, yeah, that that's that's my take on it. The um, No, absolutely, 100% agree. And, and, and I, I think, um, I think I'll, and I'll close it out with this, is, is the little touches. Um, the, the little, a little attention to detail. 
um, a little bit more is is what catapults it from from bad to to can be pretty good. And what I mean by little touches is is don't don't fucking shoot it in the same you know in your bedroom the um that's clearly your bedroom and then has all of your things take a little bit of detail into set design into the visual look take a little bit more time into sound because i cannot tell you how many fucking independent movies that we've seen have horrible horrible sound um uh, the um it, it take a little bit into these extra details and also too more importantly is and this is just from somebody who's a lover of film like not even a filmmaker but a lover of film is is make it something and more, you know, to your point, Zoe, make it something that that's entertaining. The, um, uh, that that's going to be engaging. That's going to be, you know, I'm going to want to see it. There's ways to make it, you know, uh, uh, you know, um, express your vision in a way that is entertaining and it's going to captivate, captivate an audience. But I, uh, but I, and, and I think one of the ways that you do captivate an audience, not just to mention a good story, uh, you know, um, and engaging actors and, you know, great direction and things of that nature, but it, it really just comes down to the little, Extra something here and there, like, you know, a little bit extra detail to sound, a little bit more mixing, you know, uh, not being afraid to go and ask, um, uh, you know, studios or recording artists to use their music, you know, a little bit of set design, you know, take the little bit of effort because that just that little bit will be so impactful on the screen. Just that little more attention to detail and not just like, well, you know, we'll just shoot it in our bedroom, you know, and everything else and, and whatever they, um, uh, you know, we'll, we'll get the scene done. No, 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 no. Take that little extra time to give it a little bit more, you know, express what you're expressing in the scene, not just within the actors in the dialogue, but what's going on behind them. The, um, you know, what's, I mean, we, we made a fucking fake brick wall, the, um, in one of them to simulate a city apartment. The um uh, and it it costs you know thirty or fifty bucks or a hundred bucks, but it was that little extra that just that little thing that made it so much more engaging and so much more professional looking. The um and that's really I think what makes the difference a lot of the time. So. You know, I absolutely love that. So, um, Zoe, this is your opportunity. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. I, we really, really appreciate it. Um, this is your time to uh, to look directly in, uh, into the camera and plug um, any of your social medias and where the good people can find all of your stuff and uh, where they can follow you and, and, and stay up to date with all the amazing things that you're doing. Okay. So, I mean, you can find me on – I know I'm not – as social as most people, but I do have the channels, I guess, you know, I was, you know, Zoe Cabin Film, Instagram, you'll find me. Um, I'm sure if you type my name to YouTube, you'll find some of my work. Um, yeah, right now I'm in post-production on Demon Hunter Time to Kill, uh, which is a non-stop action comedy horror wild film. It's going amazing. And so, so working away in that and, um, yeah, just check out, uh, I suppose, check out the film's Facebook page, I guess, for um, updates on that film. Uh, it, it's the same Facebook page as the fourth film. I think it's, like, fine there. Um, yeah, that's my focus at the moment, is focusing on the post-production on my next film. And, yeah, that's it. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you so much. And I'll close and I'll close this out. Thank you so much for checking out this episode of the Nightmares Podcast. You can find us where all podcasts can be found at YouTube, Anchor, Spotify, all that great stuff. And if you are watching this on YouTube, if it could be so awesome to stab that like button, smash that subscribe and click that little dingy bell. 
to be notified every time we drop amazing content right here on MHN. And you can find us on all of our social medias on uh, our YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and Slasher. the application for all things horror. Thank you so much, and we'll, check, uh, we'll uh, see you next time on the Nightmares Podcast. Bye, guys.